Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 162. You know, like when I was writing 162 on my on my Google Doc, <laughs> I was like 162. How do we have, how do we do this many? <laughs> we just it's keep so going. Crazy. We just keep going. <laughs> we just didn't stop. That's what happened. <laughs> We're relentless. We're relentless. relentless. Week after week after week. We just keep coming back to you, and you guys just keep coming back for more, and we love it. I know. It's great. Oh, I shouldn't talk that loud. I am uh... – okay, you know me, Jen. We have been out lots of times together, and you know I'm not a big drinker. Like, I do drink. I'm not. I'm not. I don't don't know that I've ever seen you, like, drunk. No, I don't get drunk anymore, Um, generally, just because, like, I usually am, like, I will fall asleep before it happens. Um, and I just don't feel great when I do anymore. So I just, usually it's like one, two drinks, like, like whatever, you know? Um, but last night, yesterday was Ben's birthday and we had some friends over and happy birthday, Ben, happy birthday, Ben. And we started playing, um, we were played flip cup. We played how many people were there for you to play flip cup? Oh, just like six. I mean, it was a very small. And okay. then like, and then our kids, of course. And the kids like, played too? No, the kids did not play flip cup. This was, but we played like beer pong. I mean, oh it was my God, that's so funny. like, we were like, oh, it was raining outside. We were going to do like out like yard games, but then it was raining. And so I was like, oh, well, we, have, you know, I got like mid red solo cups. We, <laughs> it was the whole thing. So yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just dragging today. And I wasn't even, I wouldn't have said I was drunk last night. I wasn't. I just feel like shit today. So Oh, I'm having a, I'm having a, having a day, having rough a real, or having a rough one. What was your hangover <laughs> breakfast like? Um, I, you know what? I just had a sandwich with like a breakfast sandwich. No, I just ate There's like a sandwich, a, like a sandwich with cheese and meat and bread and mayonnaise. I just needed like that's something. a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that is a sandwich. <laughs> I told you I was dull, man. I told you. (laughs) Going to sandwich. And bread. Did I mention the bread? (laughs) Mayonnaise. Uh, But you know, sometimes you're just like, I just need something to like sit in my stomach. Yes. So that's that's what's sitting in there right now. (laughs) Dude, I had a hangover too, but it wasn't the kind. I can't tell if it's worse or... Or better, but I um I I got a hangover from a hot yoga class. Oh really? I've yes. had that before. Where you it's get a so real dehydrated? Thing I googled it. Yes. Yes. I, like so, I've I've only been to the studio one other time, and I swear to God, this happened to be the last time I was at the studio because I go to like I'm pretty regularly. I go to hot yoga, and yeah. I used to go very regularly. I know what I'm doing. I yeah. can handle it. And it was funny because like this, I went to this back to the studio that I probably haven't been there in years. And the uh, the guy that like took 
my registration, you know, he kept asking me like, um, when was the last time you've done this? <laughs> like, I was like, do I like that out of shape? And so, uh, um, and then um, I was like, I can handle this. And then I couldn't. Oh my God. I don't know if it was because of the humidity or or what, but it was, there were so many people in this class and it was, the, the heat was turned up so high. Yeah. And like, I was the first person that, you know, they always say like, and if you need to take a break, just lay down on your mat. I was the first person <laughs> to do it. And then, and I thought it was cause like, oh, clearly I'm very out of shape. But then like, I just saw like even the best of them, like they're super fit people. Yeah. Like everybody started dropping like flies and like people were like having to leave the room. I thought it was like in one of those documentaries where like when a hot yoga class went wrong. Right, right, right. And they're I like, mean? oh, it's a cult. Yeah. But you know what? I think that one that you went to is – it was it's like a Bikram yoga, right? Where it's like they go through the 27 poses that you yeah. hold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is those, it normally hotter? It's hotter than like okay. regular, like the vinyasa hot yoga. And those are – I mean, it's so hot – and I, I did that once. I did – it's kind of like the same same thing where the guy was like, have you done this before? And I was like, yeah, I've done hot yoga lots. And he's like, okay. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, that was so hot. It was really – I was trembling walking down the stairs to get back yes. in my car. My whole body was shaking. I thought I was going to throw up. And then the whole rest of the day, I felt terrible. Like I had the worst hangover ever. Yeah, it's because you're dehydrated because you should not be in – did you listen to that? 30 for 30 on Bikram yoga, right? Like yeah, the whole thing which, is oh like – Oh, my God, guys, watch it if you haven't. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is like made up and the like heat is like completely unregulated. Like it shouldn't be that hot. <laughs> it's like – it's nuts. So you're not wrong. Yeah. I almost died, Sally. You almost died. I almost died oh. yesterday. <laughs> Goodness, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the worst when you're like hung over and you didn't even like have a good time. Right, you, know you were I mean? just like, all right, I'm just trying to do no something. Reason. Bullshit. <laughs> That's pretty sad. You got a yoga I hangover. Know. I know. <laughs> it's old people shit. You know what you don't get hungover from? Hip hop uh, dance class. <laughs> I, it's true. I didn't get hungover. Well, actually, I did get a little hungover from that because we did go out for drinks after. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't blame that on the can't blame that on the twerk. Can't do it. Um. All right, let's get for Jesus. He won't let you have a hangover. <laughs> let's do our. Let's get to our quickies. Let's do it. So my quickie comes from the TimesNewNow.com, and this is a, a quick quickie, a very quick quickie, but it made me laugh really hard. So okay, so this woman, she was only identified as Leonora R was arrested last week in Mexico after she stabbed her husband, identified as Juan N, multiple times on his legs and arms. The reason why she stabbed him is because she was looking at his phone and she found photos of Juan having sex with a woman that she did not recognize on oh, his no. phone. Yeah, and so she just went into a rage. She did not even ask him about it. She didn't give him any time to explain. She just was like, you motherfucker. Steps sab. Steps have sab. Like, just hurling insults at him. Like, you fucking cater. I don't know. Um, and so Juan eventually managed to get the knife out of his wife's hands. And he was like, what are you talking about? Um, and she was like, I saw the photos on your phone. And he was like, those are photos from us. Oh my God. Years earlier. 
And she did not recognize herself because it was like 20 years earlier when she was younger and thinner and wearing makeup. And he said he had found the pictures in an old email and like saved them on his phone recently. So it looked like, oh, she just gotten those pictures. And she ultimately realized like, oh, that was pictures we took while we were dating. Oh um, my God. Yeah. And so the police were actually called because neighbors heard screaming and shouting and they ended up taking her into custody. And so I, we're not sure what happened to her, but he is was taken to the hospital and he's ultimately fine. Um, he was released. But I mean, is it- the apologies <laughs> that are going to happen. Like, what kind of a cake do you have to bake to make right. up for stabbing your husband a million times? <laughs> Because he was like, oh, my oh God, I for no look reason. at my sexy wife. Look at this. I'm just cherishing pictures of us younger, younger us. <laughs> it was her. I could definitely oh my see God. that happening. Not recognizing myself. That's, not- that's like terrifying, though. Could you imagine you're just sitting there minding your own business and then all of a sudden like <laughs> your spouse just starts stabbing you? And, and over a miscommunication like that that's so out of your control that terrifies me that's like people that are like mad at you because of a dream that they had right and then you had no <laughs> idea that they even had that dream and you had no control over that you know what i mean yeah 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 i hate uh, that you have to imagine if if her first instinct was stab 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 Maybe she's got a little bit of a hot temper. She's probably stabbed them before. I'll be honest. I was, with yeah, you. I was gonna say he probably wasn't <laughs> so like Juan probably wasn't so surprised. <laughs> she's like, "Come on, you know I'm a stabber. <laughs> it's you my first instinct. about me. It's like people that like when somebody you falls down, anyway. they instantly laugh. Like that's me. I can't help it. I it's like when my somebody first... falls down, you laugh. Yes, I, it's like oh. uh, it's it's a bad response. I know it is, but I'm like instant laugh. And her, maybe her instant response is stab, 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 stab. And then she's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. I know that was the wrong thing. Fight or flight. And that was (laughs) fight, flight, or stab. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my quickie. All right. Uh, So my quickie comes from an article for Fox 5 Atlanta written by Chris Williams. Um, And this is one you're really going to like, Sally. Okay. Do people get caught having sex? In public, absolutely, yes. they do. Absolutely right here in Atlanta. No, it, this this is article was for Fox Five Atlanta, but it actually took place in Ohio. What your favorite place? All right. Um, so this was actually in an amusement park um, at the rides at Cedar Point. Have you been there? In I have not been Ohio? to. I have not been to Cedar Point, but I know it's like it's really good roller coasters. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, it's actually called Cedar Point. Just the caption under it was showing me a picture of rides at Cedar Point. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been to the rides at Cedar Point? (laughs) Like the bluffs at Harbor Creek or (laughs) (laughs) the winds at uh, at Beneath My Wing? (laughs) Yes, I have been to the rides. Oh, man, the best name like that. I have to give myself credit. When we had our, our pool up here and stuff, and um, it was during COVID, and we turned um, our backyard into a country club, and we called yeah. it Shady Whispers, which 
I think is the best I think made up country great. club name in the world. She yep. whispers. Um, so this couple um, who has not been named was charged with public indecency for having sex at the amusement park. Uh, apparently a man and woman, they were both 32 years old, were observed having sexual intercourse on the giant wheel ride. And it was witnessed by a group of four women, including two juveniles. So that's where it gets <laughs> mm. tricky. Yeah. Um, an officer with the Sandusky Police Department said the couple originally denied having sex on the ride. Uh-huh. Um, she, The suspected woman told the police that she had shorts on under her dress and she dropped her cigarette pack out of them. And that's when she bent over to pick them up and her partner was just helping her pick them <laughs> up. Like on the Ferris wheel. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, yes, but the, the witnesses were like, no way. They were definitely having sex because they were naked. Like we saw them naked. And then they said that the cart was shaking and that they could quote both the male and female moving back and forth. And so um, the police report stated that the group said that the couple knew that they were watching and started laughing and continued to have sex. Um but then eventually the couple ended up admitting to have had sex on the ride and they were both arrested and taken to jail. And that's where the story ends. The Fox television stations reach out to Cedar Point for comments, but they have not yet commented at this point. <laughs> They're like, did you sanitize that ride? That's the comment we want yeah. to um, the The like their made up excuse made me think of, I may have told this story before, but this one time Aaron, when Aaron and I were Dr. Dude Fuck, Dr. Dude Fuck, um, when we were like 12, maybe like seventh grade. So 12, 12 or 13, we had our first middle school dance and neither of us knew how to slow dance. And so we were both really nervous and there was this big park by our house. Um, and so we were like standing at the park teaching each other basically how to slow dance so we like oh, had our so sweet <laughs> okay so we had our arms on each other and we're like doing like you know like just arm both arms on shoulders and then like moving back and forth like you can imagine like the most stiff slow dance but then uh-huh. our friend's dad drove by and we got really embarrassed and so we immediately like broke apart and like like looked like oh we're not doing anything and he thought we did that because we were smoking cigarettes. And oh. so he stopped the car and ran out after us and was like, let me see your hands. And we were like, we were, he was like, were you smoking? What were you doing? Were you smoking? And we were like, we were slow dancing. <laughs> <laughs> But he was like, like, what the fuck? What did he say? He was just like, okay. Because, I mean, it was obviously we weren't smoking because, like, I don't think he believed us, but, like, there was no, there were no cigarettes, no smoke, you know, whatever. Oh, my God. That is so funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like the one time I got, quote unquote, caught for drinking and I actually wasn't drunk at all, even though there are many times that I was drinking when I was a teenager, but didn't get caught. Yeah. Um, But the one time that I got in trouble, I actually wasn't drunk. I had the flu and I was like at my friend's house. We're watching the Super Bowl and um, they called my parents and they're like, oh, you better come get Jen. She's really sick. And the whole ride home, my dad was like, you think you're a big shot? Look at you. <laughs> Look at you now. I was like, I'm not <laughs> I don't think I'm a big shot. I'm really <laughs> I'm not cool to have. And I'm like, I was like 
sitting on the bathroom floor because I was throwing up all night long. And my dad was like, get in your room. You think you're a big shot? You're out there drinking with your friends. And I was like, I'm like, I please let me just leave you in the toilet. Like, I can't stop. It was like the worst flu ever. Oh, it was my. torture. But I guess that's karma for all of the times that I actually was, was drunk. drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think you're a big shot? Yeah. Oh, you're like, no, I just... <laughs> I'm not a big shot. shot. <laughs> not at all. I'm a very, very tiny shot. <laughs> not, I had no shots. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, man, so... I love it. Hey, John. Hey, Sal. Are you ready for a wild story? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I got my information from the LA Times by Robin Abkarian from an article in People.com from an episode of American Monster on ID Channel from Cinemaholic by Kriti Marata and Monsters and Critics by Jerry Brown. Around 1 a.m. on Tuesday, June 7th, 1994, Rob Woodby was lying on his back. He was asleep in his home in Knoxville, Tennessee, and something woke him up. He wasn't quite sure, but he smelled the strong odor of cigarette smoke, and nobody in his home smoked. They were so. slow dancing. <laughs> and he was like, what are you doing? Show me your hands. That actually reminds me of another story that my friend Bethany and I, when we were we were counselors in training at summer camp, we were 16, and we actually were smoking in the woods, and we got caught, and she thought the best thing to do was to, like, just crush the cigarette in her hand, and, like, I threw mine. Oh, and then her whole pan smells disgusting well, she, and she like burned a, like had a burn mark on her hand for forever and uh oh my and god the, the guy was like show me your hands and she had to open up her hand and there was just like a smoldering cigarette there oh my god <laughs> we were like, i was like why was that your instinct and she's like i thought about eating it but <laughs> oh my god oh uh, Anyway, okay, let me start that again. Okay, so he smelled cigarette smoke um, and nobody in his home smoked. So he just had this like eerie feeling that someone was standing over him. Mm. So he opened his eyes and that is when he saw a butcher knife coming towards him. Oh my God. Rob threw up his arms um, and the knife like hit his arms and then cut his ear. The man was who was attacking him was dressed all in black with gloves and a dark mask. Um, and Rob began to fight for his life. He realized that his wife, Lisa, was not in bed with him, and he was worried that she had already been hurt, and so he screamed for her as he struggled with his attacker. He was also worried about his young daughter, Brittany, who was just down the hall. Um, Rob was bigger than the attacker, and so he managed to grab the man by the wrist, but still, like as he has the man by the wrist, he's still continuing to swing the knife. He was cutting, he was nicking Rob, all along, Rob is screaming for Lisa. And finally, Lisa appears in the doorway of their bedroom. She's holding an aluminum softball bat. And he feels this moment of relief, like she is okay. She's there to help. But she seems like she's in shock. So he tries to shake her out of like her stupor. And he yells at her to call 911. But she just stands there in the doorway. Oh, my God. And then that is when Rob's attacker looks at Lisa. And he says, you've got to do it just do it now oh my god 
cliffhanger. Okay. Um, okay. So Rob and Lisa Weedby met in 1979 when they were both 18 years old in like the most late 70s, early 80s way to meet. Rob was cruising the strip in downtown Knoxville with some friends when nice. Lisa and her friend pulled up next to him in her tiny little convertible at a traffic light. And he had this like luxurious mustache. You know how I feel like in the 70s and 80s, like people were 18, but they looked 35. Like he yeah. had one of those. And uh, and she like, like – what, what was that mustache connections or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He would be like top of the like, – yeah. Yeah, he would be like their their poster boy. Um, so he had this mustache. She had like blonde feathered hair. And so the two, you know, meet each other's eyes. They two cars pull over to talk. Um, Rob and Lisa flirt. They hang out all night. And then at the end of the night, she gives him a piece of paper with her phone number on it. And she was like, hey, how about you call me sometime? And then he called her a few days later and she said, what took you so long? And from that time, they were separable. Um, three years later, in June of 1982, when they were just 21, they got married. Their families thought they were a little too young, but they knew they loved each other. And Rob and Lisa were like adamant. And they made it work. They were they both worked for Rob's family's insurance company. Um, so they were doing pretty well financially. They bought a little fixer-upper in Knoxville and started working on their house. Um, and then four years later in 1986, Lisa, who was now sporting a big old perm and bangs, she gave birth to a baby boy named Justin. And Rob and Lisa were like over the moon with parenthood. They, When they found out that Lisa was expecting again three years later, they were excited to grow their family. So they found out they were having a baby girl who they decided to name Brittany. But when Brittany was born in 1990, the doctors noticed that something was off kind of immediately with the way she was responding to certain things. And so a day after she was born, a pediatrician told Rob and Lisa that Brittany had Down syndrome. And uh-huh. yeah, and so they were both like, you know, they were both in shock, but also this was their baby and they weren't, you know, they didn't know beforehand. So of course it would come as a shock, but they were like, this is our daughter. We will do it. Well, we we yeah. love her. Um, but then they also found out that on top of that, Brittany had a rare diagnosis. It was called VSD, which meant she had a hole in her heart. Um, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And so the doctors told them that she would need to have an operation. When she got, she would have to wait till she was six months old, but that it was a very serious condition. And so as you can imagine, like they have this baby, they find out she has Down syndrome. They're looking at the future of that. And then they're told she has a heart condition. They're having tons of doctor's appointments, and it just took over their lives, caring for Brittany's health. So Rob's parents, who had just retired, stepped up and helped them out a lot with Justin, who was just four at the time. And Justin would stay with his grandparents a lot. They kind of took him everywhere they went. So at just six months old, Brittany had heart surgery, um, which luckily went well, and she recovered. And she was able to, you know, kind of develop normally, like she was walking. And But right before her second birthday, she was diagnosed with a rare disease that basically caused stroke damage to the brain. Oh, God. Yeah. So she had to undergo two brain surgeries within a week of each other when she was just two years old. So, you know, oh, God, all of this, of course. Yes. Heartbreak. Yeah. I cannot, I can't imagine. Um, it just all, you know, took a big toll on the couple. Like Lisa 
really withdrew. She grew more and more distraught as like the first surgery approached. And the couple had always attended church in Knoxville, but like with everything going on, the church became more and more important to Lisa. She ended up joining the choir and she was spending more time at the church. And Rob said he felt relieved because Lisa had kind of withdrawn from him and their marriage was pretty shaky. I mean, I think it was a lot of everything was focused on Brittany's health. And so the two grew apart. Rob was happy that Lisa had a support group of friends in because she joined the choir. She became really good friends with this woman named Tracy Frazier. And Tracy and her husband, Michael, had also belonged to the church for a long time. And so both Rob and Lisa and Tracy and Michael knew each other casually. Um, they had socialized together. Michael was the organist for the church. He helped run the choir. And so Lisa confided in Tracy and Michael during choir practice. They would often like go out to eat afterwards, and she would confide about her struggles um, with Brittany. And, and so Michael, who was actually a newspaper reporter for the life and style section of the Knoxville paper, which is called the Oak Ridger, he decided to write a story about Lisa for the Mother's Day edition of the paper. And so the couples through this, Michael interviewing Lisa a bunch, um, the couples became friends. They ended up taking like a couple of weekend trips together. And Michael and Lisa began spending more time together, just the two of them. So people at the church began to talk about how close they seemed to be and mm -hmm. rumors got back to Rob. <clears throat> and because at that point, their marriage was pretty shaky and the stress was taking a toll on Lisa. Rob was actually like inclined to believe that something was going on. So he asked Lisa about it. He said that a friend had seen Lisa and Michael at lunch together and they seemed to be like a little bit too close. And Lisa just laughed it off. And she was like, Rob, we are just friends. And she actually said to him, like, don't you think if I was going to cheat on you, I could find someone better than Michael? And Rob was like, I believed her because Rob and Lisa, they, I mean, people describe them as like Ken and Barbie of the, uh -huh. of the 80s. And they were very much that, like both beautiful people and great shape. They're both athletic. And Michael was just this kind of tall, skinny, weird guy. He was really into opera and musicals and they didn't seem like a fit. Mm -hmm. And Although Lisa now, so it was the 90s now, and so she had like, now she had like a sleek blonde bob. She had every hairdo, like typical of the, <laughs> of the decade. She right. had it. She was it. So on May 9th, 1993, the story about Lisa that Michael had written came out in the Oak Ridger, and it was a huge story on the front page of the Life and Style section. It was titled Mother's Nightmare, A Mother's Dream. And it was like this glowing profile of Lisa and her mother her mothering and all of kind of the struggles that they had gone through with Brittany's health. And Michael actually received a writing award for the article. And, and it seems like the article kind of lifted Lisa's mood because after the article came out, she went to Rob and asked if the two of them could work on their work on their marriage. And Rob agreed because he was definitely like a traditional guy. He, you know, wanted to stay together for their children. And for the next year, Things seemed to be pretty okay. But then kind of to Rob, it seemed, out of the blue, in April of 1994, Lisa went to What did attorney. her hair look like then? <laughs> um, it was like- Describe it. Okay. So her hair then was still a bob, but it was crimped. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, okay. <laughs> that's what she has going on in 1994. Got it. She went to an attorney about a divorce. 
And then on May 17th, she filed a petition for an order of protection. And in it, she alleged that when she came home after her appointment with the attorney, that her husband was there. He was mad. She wrote in the court document, he told me that my attorney would not ever make it to court for me because he would kill her first. And then he would kill my best friend for helping me. And then she said in the court document that he placed his hands around my neck, choking me in front of Brittany and told me how he would snap my neck. Oh, my God. Yeah. So on June 2nd, six days before Rob was attacked, he actually signed an order of protection. Um, Like he agreed that he would not abuse or threaten his wife on penalty of arrest and fine. However, the order did not require him to leave the home or keep a distance from his wife, which is really weird. Like that's very, yeah, that she didn't ask for that and that she stayed at the home and that he, he says, Rob says that he signed the order, even though it was, he says a complete work of fiction because he and Lisa were trying to work on their marriage and that he didn't have an attorney at the time because he was blindsided by this. And Uh I do want to say that for the record, there's no evidence that he ever abused her. Okay. But that is just what she right. said. Okay. So, I mean, I who knows? But also there's like, you know, the police investigated all of this and there's no evidence that he ever abused her. But um, so on – so this that was on June 2nd. And then on June 7th, this was the night of the attack. So this was June 7th, 1994. Their son Justin was sleeping over at his grandparents' house. And Brittany had just been put down to sleep in a room – Uh, Rob had gone to a softball game, and when he got home, Lisa had fried chicken dinner waiting for him. He said that after dinner, Lisa was very affectionate with him, um, and then they went to bed happy. And then that was the night that at 1 a.m., he woke up to find a man standing over him with a knife. So after the attacker yelled to Lisa, you've got to do it, just do it now, Rob thought that he recognized the voice, but he couldn't place it. And so he said again to Lisa, call 911, turn on the light. But she just stood there. And he says it was at that point that he realized Lisa was in on the attack. Oh, my God. So Rob realized that he had to make a move. So he shoved his assailant. He grabbed the bat from Lisa and he ran to the garage while the the attacker was chasing him he hit the switch to raise the garage door which actually turned on the light and he turned around and the guy with the knife was coming at him and that is when he could see his face of the attacker michael and it was michael the newspaper reporter and so knew it yep i mean well yeah (laughs) you are an amazing i'm a great detective (laughs) um so rob began yelling Neighbors came out and called 911, and Michael ran off into the wooded area near their homes. Um, and Lisa went in and got Brittany, who was unharmed, and she went over to the neighbor's house, who had called 911. So when police arrived, Rob was covered in blood, but mostly fine. His wounds, thankfully, were all superficial. So he tells them what happened and told him, I know my attacker. He said, it's one of Lisa's friends. He's the choir director at our church. So the police go over to the neighbor's house. They get Lisa. She told them that when she heard the person starting to attack 
Rob that she had gone to get the bat to help, but that she had come back. She was frozen when she saw Rob wrestling with him. And she said she had never clearly seen the attacker's face. She said she was just worried about Rob. She hadn't focused on the man's face. But then the police captain was like, mm, things don't like your emotions don't match your words. Right. Um, and the detective, because Rob had already said, I know who this was. Uh, Rob was like, do you know a man named Michael Frazier? And she was like, yeah, I mean, he goes to my church. Like he's like the choir director. And she was like, have you had an affair with him? She was like, no, no, I'm just friends with him and his wife. Um, she was like, but my husband is very jealous of everyone. Mm-hmm. And so then the detective was like, I know she's lying. So he told her that he's like, listen, I, I know you've told me your story, but now I'm going to bring you into the house and I want you to tell Rob exactly what you've told me. And so he brought Lisa into the house. He sat her down with Rob and they say that she like looked at the detectives. She looked at Rob and then it was like she knew she was caught. And so her story changed. She said that she invited Michael over to the house around 8 p.m., that he said she was like they were like well, what was he there for she was like he was there to help me and they were like help you what she was like well michael was convinced that rob was going to hurt me um, but i don't know what his intentions were i just know that he said he wanted to help me and then at that point during the interview rob leans forward and looks lisa in the eye and says what did you do in this house with michael and she looked him right back in the eye and said we did everything and i mean everything yeah. Oh, my God. So Rob said in that moment, like everything came into focus. He said a few weeks earlier, right around the time that Lisa had filed that restraining order, that she had become very interested in his life insurance policy, which because he worked in insurance was high. It was like around one point five million dollars. So he was like, oh, (laughs) I see. I see now why she was asking about that. So detectives felt like they had enough to arrest Lisa for being involved. So they arrested Lisa right then. And then three hours later, around 5.30 a.m., police who were staking out Michael Frazier's home arrested Michael as he was walking up to his apartment. He was still wearing the same clothing that he had worn to attack Rob. Oh, my God. What an idiot. Yeah. And it was like very distinctive. He was wearing a Phantom of the Opera shirt. So that morning after he was arrested at the newspaper where Michael worked, um, a reporter first heard the story in his car radio as he was driving in from Knoxville. And he was like, yeah, someone named Michael Frazier was arrested in connection with an alleged attempted murder. And he said his first thought was, oh, that's funny. Someone has the same name as Michael. We can cut out the headline and tape it to his desk and he'll think it's hilarious. So they're getting this news in the newsroom. Then they see the mugshot and they're like, oh my God, that's our Michael. They knew it because of his Phantom of the Opera shirt. And so the entire staff was just standing there being like, this can't be like, this is this person we know that we like, that he tried to kill someone. Um, And so when the story broke, it was huge national news, of course, because this is a, about a reporter who got too close to a subject and then tried to commit murder for her. In 1995, Michael went to trial and the prosecutors said that the two were having an affair and that the night of the attack, Lisa had Michael hide in the home starting from 8 p.m. until like before Rob got home. He was just hiding in the home until 1 a.m. And that's when he came out and attacked Rob. 
And Michael's defense lawyers admitted that he was there to kill Rob, but said that Lisa convinced him to do it and that he was only trying to protect her because she had told him that she had been abused by Rob. And But like I said, there's no evidence that Rob ever abused Lisa. Mm -hmm. um, but who, I, who knows what went on in their home? So the jury must have partially believed Michael um, was put up to the attempted murder by Lisa because he was given just four years in prison. And then a year later, Lisa ended up taking an Alford plea and was sentenced to only one year in jail. Oh, my God. And three years probation. And at the time of her sentencing, which was only a, two years after the attack, Lisa was already married to another man, not Michael, a whole other person. Somehow she had met and gotten married to someone else. Wow. And like that person just didn't care at all that she tried to kill her husband? Apparently not. Wow. Apparently not. Yeah. So Rob said that the accusations of abuse at Michael's trial, like that he had abused the accusation that he had abused Lisa, were mm -hmm. he said that that was almost as damaging to him as the attack itself. Um, he ended up taking custody of both of his kids. And with the help of his parents, he raised them on his own. Lisa never had any contact with them after that. His son, Justin, is now an adult. He works with him in the family insurance business in Knoxville and has kids of his own. Rob still cares full time for Brittany. And he says he enjoys teaching his grandchildren how to fish. In 2019, with a co-author, Rob wrote a book about the whole, whole ordeal called Rude Awakening. And in it, he claims that Michael Frazier was not Lisa's first affair. And he said that actually a year earlier, she had had a one night stand with a police officer that she had met at a pool party. And while they were in bed, she had asked him to borrow his gun. And Rob had talked to this police officer, like obviously after she was convicted. And the police officer said that when he found out she was married, that he never saw her again, but that he thought that that was kind of not coincidental that she had asked him yeah. about his gun. Yeah. Wow. So today, Lisa is 57. She apparently also works in insurance. She lives in North Carolina. She is married possibly to the guy that she married before her trial. At least that's the last name she wow. has. Um, you can actually you can find her on the internet. She has like a Facebook page. And but she, what does her hair look like now? Um, it's like, it's like a straight and like a little bit of a bang, but like, you know, okay. down bang. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's All pretty, right. I mean, she goes with the time. She moves with the times. Yeah. She sounds like it. Yeah. So, uh, she and Rob haven't spoken for nearly 15 years. She doesn't have any contact with the children. Um, Michael has since died, although it's not clear like how or when, or even what he did after he was released. Um, and Rob says that he hopes that by writing this book and by telling his story, um, you can actually find this story was not just, it's like been in every crime, like any, every crime series. <laughs> he, he told a story to everyone uh -huh. um, as he well should have. So you can, I mean, Did it's he like, write a book. Most he wrote a book. book. Okay. Yes. He wrote a book. Okay. Um, and he says that he hopes that his story will inspire others who have been victims of crime and betrayal. He said he is confident that it is possible to live again, achieve again, and maybe even trust again. Good for him. Good for him. So anyway, him. there's my story. Wow. That is yeah. wild. Wild. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a love story? Oh, I am ready for a love story. Okay. Um, I figured most people would assume that I would be doing the love story of Queen Elizabeth and 
the guy she was married to. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Philip. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm like, didn't you already do uh, that? <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, but and that's the thing is that I can't. I can't do it because I already did it when I when Prince Philip died. I did their love story. Yeah. So I um. So if in case you guys are wondering why I missed the opportunity to do a love story that's all over the news right now because every article is about their love story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I already did it. Yeah. Go back and listen to it. Listen. Get off. I did get it off before for Jack. it was cool. Okay. <laughs> Jen got um, it on the ground floor. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have a really nice love story um, that is from CNN.com uh, under Chance Encounters, which is a really cool section of CNN travel about people like falling in love while traveling, uh, which is oh, great. Yeah, I've been I've been finding some love stories there. <laughs> yeah. There's some, it's, it's a there's well good. of content. <laughs> um, uh, but this article in particular was written by Francesca Strait. Um, Francesca Street, she's a love story expert. She's the best. Mm -hmm. She should start a podcast. She really should. (laughs) She probably has one. Um, I feel like we started one for her. (laughs) Right. All right, you guys are going to have to bear with me here because these are Norwegian names, and um, I just want to make sure that I'm pronouncing them correctly. But um, when Ida Skibenes and Hannah Ardahl – First met, they were co-workers. Company was based in Bergen. Am I saying that right, Bergen? Yeah. My my friend Grace just took an amazing trip to Norway, and she went to Bergen. Oh, really? So I was supposed to say, like, Bergen? No, I don't know. I just said that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. I think you should say it like that. Bergen. Bergen. (laughs) So there – their company was based in Bergen, but every year they would do these remote working trips. Well, they would send everybody to this beautiful Soul Strand. Have you okay. heard of that? Okay. Um, so they would all stay at this like really beautiful hotel and everybody would work remotely while at the hotel. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's um, lovely. Yeah. It was like, it, it was it actually wasn't, a, it was like a, a mountain town. Yeah. So it was like the idea was to get out of the city and all go relax um, in these mountains and work but still in this work. beautiful hotel. <laughs> yeah. So Hannah and Ida were co-workers. Hannah had started working there first, but then when Ida started working at the company, um, they they quickly clicked with each other. But at the time, they were um, in very different places. Ida was actually married, and she was just uh, focused on settling into her new job and focused on her relationship. And Hannah was a single parent whose uh, teenage daughter had just moved to the U.S. to study for a year. So she was kind of dealing with that separation. Yeah. But as the months went on, their situations kind of changed. They remained friends this whole time. But, you know, life happens and and Ida's relationship began to fall apart. And then she went through a divorce. And then um, when as a, Hannah got used to her daughter being, you know, in the U.S., she started spending more time like going out and living her own life. So they, their situations were changing, but all the while their friendship just grew closer and closer. I just said our energies matched. It was more fun to be at work when Hannah was there. Like, you know, when you always yeah. have that one work buddy that you're like. Yeah, I'm glad they're here. You know what I mean? Just to get you through the day. Yeah. Um, and Hannah, Hannah told CNN, I think we had the same kind of humor, so we became friends quickly. So they started working on a project together, which the project was to make a short like mockumentary of The Office 
uh, of their workplace. Okay. You know That's what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. And the the mockumentary was going to be shown or screened at the Solstrand retreat when they were there. So they kind of got closer because they spent a lot of time working on this project. So they had like regular dinners together and drinks. And then they started texting each other all the time. And then it became like, a, oh, good night, good morning kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and when um, – you know, as they look back on that time period now, Ida and Hannah said that they now realize that they were kind of dating each other without realizing that they were dating, you know, because Hannah was actually, she was used to dating men. And um, so she, you know, it never had dawned on her that this relationship with a woman would be anything more than just a friendship, you know? Right. Um, but she says that now when she looks back on it, it was obvious that they had feelings for each other. Um, and Ida, who usually dated women, wasn't sure if Hannah would be open to dating women. So she didn't know like what, if her, the feelings that she had were reciprocated or if she was making this all up in her head, you know, but yeah. she said that she still felt like there were signs suggesting that, their friendship was something more. So um, a few weeks before the Solstrand retreat, they stayed up late at Hannah's home just talking. And when 2 a.m. came around, Ida suggested uh, that, you know, it's time for her to go home. And, and then Hannah took her hand and then asked her not to leave. And Ida said that she felt like that was a turning point. Um, yeah. But yeah, but she ended up leaving any like anyway, you know what I mean? She, like she thought that that was a sweet gesture, but she left because they had both been drinking and mm. she didn't want this like really important conversation that she wanted to have with her to be when they were under the influence. Which, right. Especially you know, if she's like the person who's like, I, I don't want to I don't want you to do something that you're not ready for or, right. you know, yeah, or have experience with. I'm sure that's like a very, you know, sensitive Situation. Yeah, I mean, it's always better to have conversations when you haven't been drinking. Yeah, so she just kind of left. and But in her head, she thought that, like, uh, you know, she just had this feeling that w everything would all be sorted out when they went on this trip together. She told CNN, I had feelings for Hannah, and I definitely had a crush on her. But if it was all in my head, then I needed to clarify that. And we were going to work together, so I just needed – uh, so I just decided that if we ended up in the same room, then that is the sign for me to actually do something about it. She said that uh, also that Solstrand was a beautiful romantic setting. So she said, so at least if she did turn me down, I wouldn't be in like this dump somewhere. I would still be in this beautiful hotel, <laughs> which that's a good way of thinking that of is. things. Like, yeah. I would uh, think like, oh, I, I don't want it to ruin my vacation. <laughs> yeah. That's why, like, if you're going to break up with someone, at least go have, like, a really nice meal, you know? <laughs> so when they were on their uh, – it was the end of their first day in Solstrand together, Ida decided to bring up the topic. And it was late at night, and they were both laying in their separate twin beds. And um, she brought up her feelings to Hannah. And Hannah's response surprised the both of them. Hannah said, I was kind of starting to say, I know that we've become close friends and everything. I love you like a friend. But then while I was saying it, I realized that, of course, it's something more. And Ida said, it freaked me out when she told me that. I was like, wait a minute, this is not happening. And after the initial shock, the, the 
conversation continued. Uh, Ida said, we talked, we kissed, and then we just kind of settled down and decided that we would figure things out eventually. And then the next day they were just kind of busy with meetings and, and stuff. So they didn't really address like what had happened the night before. They just kind of like went on with their day. But apparently it was a tradition at their company that everyone presented greeting cards to their Solstrand roommates at the end of the trip, which is just like a weird tradition, but I guess that's nice yeah. to like write a card to your roommate. But anyway, so in there, so this worked out great for them because that when they wrote their cards to each other, that's when they wrote down all of their feelings for each other. Um, so, and Ida was very excited that Hannah's feelings were reciprocated. She said that she texted um, some of her friends and she texted three, three thumbs up. We made out. Uh, but other than <laughs> texting a couple of friends, um, they said that they kept their relationship quiet for a long time because Hannah really needed some time to like come to terms with her new feelings. You know, she's, she wasn't, she never really dated women before and this was a new thing for her. Um, so she said, I had been in some relationships, but mostly I had been a single parent and very self-sufficient in a way, and I'm not very good at close relationships. So I think it was really scary and exciting at the same time and confusing. So she needed some time to like settle, which is understandable. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and then also they knew that they were not only like risking a friendship, but they were risking their working relationship too, which is very scary. Um, Hannah said, I think I was really afraid to mess things up between the two of us because we were working together. It would have had greater consequences if I messed up, which I guess I would at some point, like she was just kind of thinking in her head, like at some point I'm going to mess this up, which is yeah. a sad way to feel about it. So they took it very slowly, but they eventually grew closer and closer. And six months later, after they had their, um, first conversation in Solstrand, they, finally told their colleagues that they were a couple and Hannah shared the news with her daughter that they were together. And Hannah was uh, said that her daughter was actually really happy for us. She actually joked that it would have been weird for them to have a man in their house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then coincidentally, two years later, her daughter came out. So Hannah said, uh, quote, it's a very gay family. (laughs) So that's cool. I love it. And so they moved in together in 2016 shortly after they told everybody about their relationship. And then they just started, they started discussing getting married. And um, they also decided that when the time felt right, that Ida would be the one to propose. Hannah said, I love surprises and Ida hates surprises. So it worked like it would work out better if Ida was yeah. to propose. So and, uh, <laughs> she knew exactly where she wanted to propose, which was in Solstrand, where they first told each other their feelings for each other, the beautiful scenic hotel, you know, perfect. Right. Perfect place. When they went back and the company, so it became a tradition that they would play this mockumentary of the office every time they went on this trip. But this time when they played the mockumentary, um, she interrupted the mockumentary and got up in front of everyone and said, wait, there's another video. And then she handed a box of Kleenex to uh, Hannah because Hannah's uh, a crier, she said. Yeah. <laughs> and so then she played this really sweet romantic video that had like music and pictures portraying their relationship. And then it ended with her proposing. Wow. Um, and of course, Hannah said yes. 
Ida said um, about the proposal, she said, I was very nervous. Maybe I like told a couple of people before we went, but five minutes before I was going to show the movie, I ran around and I told everyone. (laughs) 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 And they were all really excited, all of her coworkers. And she said, I had, I had a complete meltdown. I got two glasses of wine and two cigarettes and then I was good to go. She had to pump (laughs) herself up for it. Um, So anyway, um, she said it, Felt very right to do it at the hotel with those people because they've kind of tagged along for the entire for the entire journey of our relationship. So it was exciting and a lot of fun, especially the part when we got to celebrate with so many people that love us and want us to be happy. So they ended up having to postpone their original wedding plans because they were supposed to take place during the pandemic. But then they ended up getting married um, this summer, and they had their ceremony in a Bergen. How did I say? <laughs> Bergen Bergen Park near the couple's home. Uh, She said, um, Hannah said, it was a really special celebration and the whole day was filled with sunshine and festivities. And while they no longer work together, uh, because Ida left the company a few years ago, um, all of her uh, co-workers got them a gift card for a romantic weekend away at Solstrand together. Oh, that's so nice. They said that they look forward to returning and hope to one day celebrate 50 years of marriage at their favorite hotel. Hannah and Ida described their years together so far as a fascinating and fun journey. Ida told CNN, it's been this feeling of having your best friend there all the way. Like whatever happens, you have your best friend and it makes you feel like things are going to work out eventually. Um, And she said that the part of being a step parent has been amazing. She said that it changed her life changed her life and it's taught her a lot. Hannah says that she's learned a lot from Ida too. She said, Ida is very brave. She's a lot wiser than me when it comes to relationships and emotions. And she's very brave and daring to talk about these things uh, when things get tough. She said, we've got close really fast and we have this complete trust in each other so we can be ourselves. I've never been in such a close relationship before and it changed my life in many different ways. And I also love having a partner who also loves my daughter and being a part of this family, a bigger family. So, Aww. isn't that sweet? It's really sweet. I and know, I just I love that story. I just love when people find a partnership that it's like so easy and nice and it adds to your life in a way that you never thought it would. So yeah. Hard. Just completely so took you by surprise. Yeah. Just, you never know. Life is You crazy. never know. Life is weird. That's all I'm oh. saying. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Thanks for that love story. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. I'll go first. Okay. So uh, this is just silly. My something dumb. So I just said we had friends over for Ben's birthday. It was also our friend Matt's birthday. And so we were, his birthday was last week. So we were celebrating his birthday as well. And he can't eat dairy. And so his wife, Katrina, was like, oh my God, he loves banana pie. And his aunt like makes the best banana pie that he he loved growing up and they like asked her for the recipe. And so Katrina was like, I'm, I've been wanting to try to make one that's like vegan um, so that he could eat it because he loves it so much. And so mm-hmm. she spent all morning making this banana pie for him um, and it looked amazing. And so, and I made a cake for Ben. So she brought the pie over and like, you've been to our house, our fridge and our house is not a full size fridge. For some reason, it's just Which, like a, if you would just let me talk to your landlord for five minutes, <laughs> I would get you a full size fridge. I know you would. I know you would. <laughs> um, 
I would love it. It's like, uh, what a dream. What a dream that would be. <laughs> so anyway, our fridge was like packed, right? There was like no room for this pie, but it needed to be refrigerated. So we made some room and we kept like joking, like that pie is going to fall anytime we open the fridge, like get a, get a beer. And oh, so no. we're getting ready to play um, flip cup. And I was like, ooh, I think in the very back of the fridge, we have some like low alcohol beers that we can use for it and so i'm reaching back to get Look these at you beers being responsible right well i mean it's like i can't you can't do flip cup with an ipa like i just I can't I cannot chug an ipa um so we're i'm like reaching back and of course i just oh, opened no. the fridge too much and the pie just oh, fell no. it was like a movie like it just like right on the top and I just like sat there and everybody was in the next room. They all knew what happened because we kept every time somebody would open the fridge, we'd be like, is that the pie? Is that the pie? And, oh, and Katrina no. was like, oh, I even thought like I should take that out. We, I should just take it out of the fridge. And um, oh, my God, they were so, like I like instantly started crying because I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I've ruined it. I've ruined the pie. But what I love is that like. Well, one that I just, I love that I have friends who are, can just like laugh about it. And nobody, of course, nobody was mad. Why? I mean, you know, it was an accident. But we like, we kept joking about like, oh, here's your floor pie. Like we took pictures with Ben with his like cake and Matt with his like pie that had been oh, so people ate it. Um, some kids said some bites of it, around but it was it? mostly around <laughs> it. Yeah. But no, it was like we scooped it off the ground and put it back Five in the tent. Five second rule. Five second <laughs> And it was... Oh, and so he's like holding his mangled pie. <laughs> Ben's holding his cake. And Aww. so I just love that like everybody could like laugh about it, laugh about it and joke about it. And uh, and I appreciate, you know, I appreciate that. It was it was uh, it was pretty funny. The other thing I love, I love, of course, Happy Birthday, Ben. Um, and then also a TV show that I have been watching that I love. It's called Ew. This Way Up. Have you heard of it? It's on Hulu. Oh, with uh, Sharon Horgan. Yes, and, and Ashling uh, B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you watched uh-huh. it? Did you I watch have. it? It's really good. Yeah. It's a few years old. <laughs> I'm I like, did I you did. talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I met Ashlyn in LA years ago. She's so funny and so sweet. And then, yeah, she's... so when I, now she's like blowing up. Yeah. Yeah, she's huge because she wrote and produce that and she's won a bunch of awards for it and there's two seasons now and there's going to be a third it's so good it's really good yeah it's so good it's like so funny and heartfelt and i mean both of them sharon horgan is amazing and everything and um ashling b i've talked about this before but the show taskmaster which is a british game show it's on youtube it's so it's ben and i've watched every season twice it's so good um, but she was on a season of that, and she was just so delightful that we were like, we want to see everything she does. Yeah. She's yeah. so likable. Yes. She's yeah. so likable. Um, so anyway, so that's my other recommendation. What do you got? So I guess, I don't know, for something dumb, I'll just say that it's dumb that I'm like still hung over from my yoga class yesterday. <laughs> that is dumb. Like, I feel like that like <laughs> cranky old lady that's like wants to write a letter like, dear hot yoga, it's too <laughs> damn hot in there. <laughs> Guys, this is just too hot. <laughs> um, but no, I'm not going to. It should be called Still God. I'll just never hot. go back. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too hot. Um, I, yeah, I'll probably just not. Well, I shouldn't say the name of it. 
Oh, I said it like three times. Shit. <laughs> um, I don't you think, guys I still think hot fun. yoga is a, it's a great. It's a great place. <laughs> it's so good. And it's for the best yoga. I'm just not good. I, it's me. It's not yeah, I think it's, it's you. Me. It's, it's definitely me. you and everybody yeah. else who is in that class. It's me. I just couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't hang. Mm-hmm. Um, but – yeah, I'm like super like out of it today. Sore, like my head is pounding still. I think like it was just for real, like heat exhaustion. Yeah, you need close some, to a heat stroke. Uh, some Gatorade, man. I had. I I actually like went and got Powerade <laughs> last night because I was like, it looked like I looked like such like I was so hungover when I was at the I was in the at the laughing school last night in the green room and I'm sitting there with taking Tylenol and drinking. <laughs> Powerade and people are like rough night. No, I got up early like, and went to yoga. And you're like, no, really rough morning. I know. Um, and something that I love. Um, I'm just so happy for my daughter um, because you know she plays the drums and she's been so nervous. So now she's in the grade where she can be in the school band, oh, and there's yeah. only one kid gets to be percussion. So she was just like, I got, she's been thinking about it for years. She's like, if I don't get percussion, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I got to get percussion. And she's been so like, cause she's, there's only one person that gets it. And yeah. so she was, she's been so nervous and so nervous and like fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And I was so excited for her when um she, she got it. So oh, she just got a little snare drum and her little, um. Mallets. I have to buy a Bell's kit. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> What's a Bell's kit? I don't know. So it sounds, uh, sounds expensive. Very, <laughs> it, uh, it is. Um, yeah. So the why That's why I'm like, are these a Bell's kit? Because <laughs> it's so expensive, and I'm like, find out if it's something cheaper. <laughs> find out if they have a loaner. <laughs> you mean like just a Bell, right? <laughs> um, but. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, I'm excited for her. See a little concert. (laughs) I know. We'll have to have her do a little solo concert for everybody. I'm going to keep plugging the Red Clay Comedy Festival. Yes, Um, please. So I do love the Red Clay Comedy Festival. It's happening November 10th through the 13th here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's going to be amazing. But also I will be um, at the Laughing Skull Comedy Festival, which will be – um, at the end of this month, September 28th, 29th, 30th, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, it's going to take place all over the city. There's just so many different venues. It's crazy. And um, so come find me. And I just found out, um, one of my really good friends from LA, Christine Little is going to be on it. Um, so, fun. so yeah, there's going to be a, a, a million great comics and I'm, I'm just so excited to like the lineup is is just so fun because it's a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time. So I'm excited for reconnecting and performing with them and it'll be fun. So yeah. come on out. Yeah, I don't have festival. any TV shows to report. I literally have not even – I haven't even watched Housewives, dude. Yeah. I've had no time for that's, that's out of any TV. That's unacceptable. I know. <laughs> um, well, yeah, go see Jen. Come see me. Um, if you're listening to this on Monday, this weekend, I'll be in um, Indianapolis, uh, the 16th and 17th at Helium. Um, come yes, see me. I just, nice. Yeah, I just found out that my good friend Dwight Simmons is going to be featuring, and he's so funny. So um, come see us. And then if you don't want to go to the – if you're not like near Atlanta to go to the Laughing School Comedy Festival, you should come to Key West and see me because I will be at the Key West Comedy Club um, that same weekend, the 29th 
uh, September 29th to October 1st. Um, and I would love to see you in Key West. Let's uh, let's go on vacay together. You guys, if I were you, I would just go to Key West. <laughs> Come to Key West. Also, if I had a um, choice. <laughs> my, uh, my new album is coming out um, October 12th. So I will tell you guys all about um, how to pre-order it, which would be amazing if you guys would pre-order my album. And I will yeah. tell you all about that probably next week. I will have details on how to pre-order. I think it should be open for pre-order soon. So that's exciting. Um, very exciting. Yeah. And so come see us. Get in touch. We are at Dumb Love Podcast on all the socials. We're dumblovepod at gmail.com. Um, rate and review. Tell a friend. We would love that. Do all of those things. And also don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum. 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 Dum-da-dum.